0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Hey, everybody, listening to the Independent Corner. This is your host Jonathan Moody, and here with me tonight is uh, Troma Star, uh, Joe Flyshaker. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. How are you?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. Um, yep. So, um, how so? Uh, how's everything going for um as far as uh you know um the, everything that you've been up to?
2: Well, I'm kind
1: of. Uh...
2: I'm retired at the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a goof off these days, uh, but uh, I still will, will do more work with trauma as, as soon as, uh, as they get off their asses and, and do some more work.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised at them, but um, I guess they're you know really right now their main concern is getting poultry guys out there. So. Well, this was one
2: of their biggest investments in a long time. They put a lot of their own money in it, which is not their usual way. And uh, they gotten a lot of uh, positive uh, feedback in the early days from from people that that saw early screenings. And uh, they have this real problem when they get positive feedback. When, when people tell them that their movies really, really suck, then they have no trouble getting them out. But once people start telling them that there's something good, then they then they get all creepy. Like they think they you know they got to spend more time and, and 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 take it slow and whatever. I mean, when you know, and a perfect example was uh, was Kabuki Man, which was certainly not one of their more out-there kind of movies was a a lot closer to a mainstream movie by their standards. But they got some very good notices from that movie very early on, and it ended up taking them them seven years to get it released. Yeah,
1: that that didn't come out until, like, what, 97, 98?
2: uh, I think it was 96, actually, but uh, we originally screened it uh, at the Kennedy Center Theater in Washington in 1989.
0: Oh wow! And, uh, and
2: it was because of the good reaction they got there, which you know, just the fact that they were there altogether was surprising enough. But it was because of the good reaction they got there that that the whole thing got uh, delayed because they started thinking that there was uh, more to it and uh, and there was more possibilities for it and things like that. And they got a little overly ambitious with what they could do because one of the strong suits with trauma or any independent filmmaker is to to know where where, where you where you fit in the marketplace. And to work, make your movies accordingly, whether it's a matter of what your fans like or a matter what your what your distribution channels can handle. I mean, you know, you're not going to uh, to make a promo movie and get it distributed, uh, you know, like a, like a Spider-Man movie. That's not going to happen.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh... it's it's definitely. And for us, are not trying to hit up the the, the direct-to-video market or anything. And um,
2: well, no, no, it, they've they've tried very hard, especially with their own productions to avoid the direct-to-video market. They've always had this special plan. that was always part of their plan to release all their own homegrown movies in theaters, even if it was only for a brief period, because it gave them added credibility in the marketplace, because then it officially is not listed as a direct-to-video movie, the fact that it's actually been shown in theaters. Now, it may not have been shown in a lot of theaters, and it may not have been seen by a lot of you know places or been in a lot of the cities, but it was shown in the theaters. It adds to the credibility.
1: Uh, I know, know and Poultry poltergeist is all over the place now. I see, like, you know, it just was in Orlando in May. It's going to New York. I know, like, I'm sure it's going all over the place. Wherever anybody, you know, can put it, they're right,
2: trying to get course, it out there. The number of places that you can put these kind of movies is far less than it used to be, because of all the all the chains. Most of the theaters belong to these giant chains, and they would rather show, the, the same movie, in, in, in three thousand screens, than then put ten screens dedicated to more independent films. So it's it's, it's a struggle, but the, the good side is that the, that Trauma has other avenues uh, that they've been very good at exploiting to to keep themselves going. You know, they they do sell a good amount of the DVDs, and they do get distribution all over the world, which a lot of other people do not. And they also have a whole library of films that they themselves. Distribute, but they didn't actually make. Uh, you know that that uh, keeps them plenty busy.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I guess let's let's start out um, by talking about how, how did you get into uh, making movies? And being well,
2: uh, this goes back to around 1982. Uh, I was working uh, in in the Wall Street area as a computer programmer. And there were a couple of co-workers of mine who were consultants, which uh, only meant that they did the same work, but got paid more for it and had a little more of an independent schedule, that were on the side working as as actors. And uh, when I heard about what they were doing and, and how they did it, because one of the things that I was never prepared to do being the the lazy slob that I've always been, is I, w- I was never going to risk my my career in computers and, and you know and become a, a taxi driver and, and pursue acting career. I w- I wanted to do it uh, sort of in my free time, which uh, I had been told by many people was impossible. Uh, but uh, I, I ended up achieving exactly what I what I set out to do because I remained in the computer field for 25 years after that. But uh, what happened was. Uh, About a year after I uh, sort of got the bug, I became a consultant myself. And as a consultant, I got paid more for the time I worked, but I was also more able to take time off. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't get paid for the time off, but I was earning enough that I could take that that hit and pursue these things. And uh, at that time, uh, the person living above me in my house was a a New York City school teacher who was a part-time actor. And when I told him I was interested, he pointed me to some of the show business uh, newsletters, uh, rather uh, weekly publications. One was called uh, sh- uh, well, one was called Show Business, which I think is out of print, and the other one was called Backstage, which I believe is still in business. And there were a lot of casting calls in those things. The problem, of course, is having no experience and no training. Most of the things that were listed there, uh, you know, I just didn't think uh, I would be suitable for. So I wasn't really sure how I was going to get into it. I had some serious doubts as to what my path was going to be. But then my friend called me one day because he saw an ad in backstage for a Woody Allen movie, and uh, the guy was uh, he he was casting for a a family of people of, of people from a Jewish family from Brooklyn. Now, I happen to be Jewish, and I happen to be from Brooklyn, so, you know, that sounded good. But I, I still didn't think uh, I stood a chance, because, again, Woody Allen is a, a professional, a top-notch director, and uh, I had no experience and no training. But my friend insisted that that would not be a problem, that Woody Allen uh, uh, would, 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 would use me, because he, th- he thought I would look good, for the, you know, that I would fit into his uh, use of, of everyday people. He liked to use people that looked like real people, not, not only movie stars. So uh, I sent in a Polaroid snapshot. It wasn't even uh, uh, a professional photograph. And a handwritten note, because I didn't have any professional resume. And they actually contacted me. And uh, suddenly, a few weeks later, I'm standing in a room in front of Woody Allen and his producers uh, being talked to about being in being his film, which I ended up in the film.
1: Which, which movie is that?
2: It's Radio Days.
1: Oh, wow, and is it an extra, or... Uh, well,
2: the, tr- the truth is, what I ended up doing was that of an extra, but they didn't treat me like an extra. They had a, they had a category I don't think it exists anymore, something called a day player, and the day player meant somebody that, uh, although they didn't have a big part in the movie, they considered their part to be significant for that day. So uh, I had this one day part. In other words, I was basically in one scene, and they considered my character important enough in that scene to pay me as if I was a real actor.
1: But so you know, didn't have know, any uh, speaking lines, or?
2: Well, they weren't sure whether I would have. To. They called me up. They told me, "We're not sure if we're going to want you to." You, to to uh, there was a certain line that was repeated by a few of the characters in the scene. It was a classroom scene, so they had members of the classroom repeating uh, some of the. This was a, 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 a English class learning how to speak proper English, and. Uh, so they had this teacher that would recite a phrase and the, and the students would repeat. So they weren't sure which students they were going to use to do the repeating. And, and so they called me They told me that they might use me. Now, the thing is, they paid me uh, and designated me with a status as if they did use me. So I got that benefit. It was uh, a known fact that, that Woody Allen was always generous to newcomers and helped them, help them get, get going in the, in the business because... One of the things that came out of that was that although I didn't end up getting the line, I, I did end up uh, becoming eligible to join SAG. Which at the just time, from being I a day player? Excuse me?
1: Just from being a day player?
2: Yes, was, yes because that's considered a principal role. But, it's, uh, the, but the day player was just a one-day principal role as opposed to a, a full-film full principal role. So there wasn't a lot, of, a lot of money. I got paid $360 for that day's work. It was about six hours. They even paid me for the time I spent when I came for a costume fitting. So that was kind of an interesting experience. You walk into a, a place, uh, the costume shop, uh, this was not a Woody Allen costume shop, this was just a professional shop that specialized in, in costuming for, for theater and, and movies. And you walk in there and, you know, four or five people will start fussing over you to see what they need and uh, what, how to fit you. And uh, I, I, I have not always been the easiest person to fit because I'm a, a little bit oversized. But uh, they they had everything they needed. They were very well stocked. So it's nice to walk into a, a clothing place and have five people fuss over you, and at the end, you're not paying the bill. Not only was I not paying the bill, but I ended up getting a check in the mail for the time spent. Oh, nice. So uh, and that check in the mail itself was, was more than I usually got from trauma. So it was, you know, it, it was it was it was an interesting way to start. Of course, because uh, I really didn't do anything in that movie. Uh, other than 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 sit in the classroom, I, I didn't exactly get much credit for it. In other words, uh, I didn't get a screen credit. Uh, my name didn't appear on the screen, and uh, it wasn't something that was going to sell me to all the other producers in the world as a, uh, oh look at that, he's an actor. You know how do you, how do you make a resume out of that?
1: Yeah, you can't put down uh, day player and you know guy well, Actually, you classroom. can and
2: you do, but it but it doesn't really get you very far. Is the point you know,
1: right.
2: especially when I still didn't have any training. I actually only took my first acting lessons after my first two trauma movies.
0: Well, uh, well there you so go. I, I, you I, did, I, I did, did the Woody exactly. movie.
2: It was a lot of fun. I ended up on the screen for a few seconds, but in those few seconds, I'm front row center in the scene, and you, you can't miss me. So uh, I, I had my, my, my moment in the sun, so to speak, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, cool. And uh, I thought it was going to lead to all kinds of things. In fact, I have a letter in my possession that was sent to me by the Woody Allen people. It was pretty much a form letter. In in those days uh, when they did computerized form letters, uh, they basically printed a bunch of letters, and then they would type it. They didn't really have computers yet, not really much. The personal computers weren't weren't really prevalent in those days. So you basically would have a, a letter that's typed out and then copied, and in the space where it says, Dear, uh, the next word which would be your name they would go in and type it in on a typewriter so when you look at it you could see that the name didn't exactly line up perfectly with the rest of the type that was how you could tell uh... and and the letter basically was a letter uh, supposedly from woody allen apologizing for cutting me out of the movie which i thought was kind of uh, disappointing when i got it But i ended up being in the movie anyway so i'm not sure exactly what prompted them to send me a letter telling me i'm not in the movie but the letter was actually hand signed by woody so I still have that original letter, and uh, it's kind of a cool thing to have.
1: Yeah, and Another it's thing I have is uh, when, when they
2: discussed with it. me the possibility of doing this one line in the movie, uh, they asked me if I wanted the the, 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 pa- the script page for that scene, uh, so I could look at the line and be uh, be familiar with it in case they choose me to do the line. So I said, sure. I mean, if nothing else, uh, I have a su- another souvenir. Because one thing you don't get when you do a trauma movie, even the stars probably don't get full scripts until the last minute, uh, because he's very close on you know holds those scripts very close to hand. Uh, but to get a single page, I guess that wasn't a problem. So that's another souvenir I have.
1: Oh, so uh, is it, it just one page? With
2: it was just one page describing, as it was referred to in the in the in the script as a uh, a classroom of night school losers. <laughs>
1: And I'll, the, I'll have to check that movie again. Like I Mia Tharo, a while ago. Was one of those night school losers.
2: In fact, in in the story, this this scene is the turning point in Mia Farrow's career in the movie, in that movie,
0: huh.
2: where she goes from being a loser to being a big Broadway star, or, or, or practically overnight. So it's kind of a joke that one that one uh, speech class can actually turn, turn your career around.
1: So, uh, was it cool
2: working with Woody? Oh, it was very cool. There was a few special moments. Uh, uh, at that time, he was still together with Mia Farrow, it was before all, all the hassles. And at that time, they had just ado- she had just adopted uh, a, a, a young child, and uh, they had brought, they had uh, the child was brought on set with uh, like a nanny, and we're all dressed up in 1941 clothing. That was the the time period. So it was kind of an odd looking bunch of people, and we were in this uh, studio. And because I uh, in, in in it was a studio as part of uh, New York University's uh, acting school, and uh, because I was given this day player status, I wasn't forced to hang out with the extras. I was able to hang out with the with the main actors, the ones that actually had the lines. So it was kind of fun again. And uh, Woody Allen walks in with Mia Farrow, and 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 he's, and he takes this carriage with the Baby, and then he starts walking it all around the studio to put the baby to sleep while while they're setting up for the next shot. Uh, Not your typical Hollywood uh, activity. And when and when they first walked into the room, all the actors in all their costumes came rushing over to, to to look at the baby and go ooh and ah. It was it was it was quite an unusual sight. And Woody, and the odd thing about Woody is uh, we didn't know, again, as being actors, and in my case a very small actor in that movie, I certainly was unaware of the, the whole story of the film. And uh, as I didn't know whether Woody himself was in the movie or not because he didn't always appear in his movies. And the odd part was it turned out he wasn't in the movie physically. I think he narrated part of it, but he wasn't physically in the movie. And the strange part was I remember on the set looking at him and 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 wondering if he was dressed for a character in the movie or not, and I wasn't sure. So here I am in 1982, and I'm not sure whether Woody Allen is dressed to look like he would fit in for 1941, and as it turns out, he obviously wasn't, but the way he was dressed, I couldn't tell. So I, I thought that was another uh, oddity.
1: Wow. Uh, is IMDb wrong? Because they're saying, like, it was 1987 when did Well, uh, okay, when I said
2: 1982, I'm wrong. Uh, I'm sorry, now that I think about it. It was 1984 that the film was made. It was made in December of 84, but it was released in February of 87. Why did it take so long
1: for him? It like me a little bit that
2: it took so long to, come, to get out.
1: Hmm?
2: Yeah, it took a long time for them to release it.
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I well, I guess it was that one of the times where he wasn't like right now. It's you know doesn't take too long you know to get.
2: Well, he was always fussier than most when it came to it. In, in some small way, uh, just like trauma, being a small company tends to take a long time to reduce a, to to release a film because they're 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 taking a very close hands on thing. Woody Allen was also a close hands-on kind of person for a different reason. He was a very professional and very fussy person when it comes to what his films look like. I mean, there was one case on one of his films that at the end of shooting it, he looked at it, didn't like it, and reshot the entire film.
1: what movie was that?
2: I'm I'm not sure, but I I don't I don't want to I don't want to say because I'm not sure, but I know that that's a fact on one of his movies, not one of his big movies, you know, not one of his more successful ones. And the thing about Radio Days is it, it, I think it's it's underappreciated. I think it was a really a real gem, but it was a small story. It wasn't a big magnificent story. It didn't have special effects like some of his movies had uh, uh, but it was it was it was a, it was a very interesting story, for, you know, a really a real good uh, um, time time uh, capsule for 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 the, for the late 30s and early 40s. And it also introduced to the world uh, the actor who played Woody Allen's character as a child. In his first movie role was Seth Green.
1: Huh, that's awesome. I, I saw that. I was looking down and going, oh, my God, Seth Green's in that movie. That's great.
2: Yeah, so he played the, the Woody Allen uh, character. And, and you know
1: what? He would have, uh, you know, I got to see that movie again because I don't remember that. But um, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, Seth Green would do a fantastic job.
2: Oh, well, this was, I think, probably his first real real film. I mean, he was a child. Yeah. He was a kid. I mean not that he ever looks like an adult today, but he was really a kid then. He was officially a kid. And he's a kid. You know. But uh, uh he was I'm sure he wasn't even dreaming of, of robot chicken in those days.
1: <laughs> oh speaking of which are you a fan of robot chicken?
2: Oh a big fan. I, I watch every episode.
1: That's I mean it's great and it's great to see that uh what what Seth's become, you know, how, how big yes, he, and I and
2: I enjoy him on uh, Family Guy as well.
1: Yeah, he's uh He's great as Chris. So,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, but... I remember watching the behind-the-scenes thing about it, and uh, how uh, how Seth McFarlane had uh, interviewed many people for the role, and and uh, they they looked at the image he had already drawn, what he wanted the character to look like, and it would have the different people come in and and do the voices they think it should be, and they all did a different kind of voice, and Seth Green was unique in the voice that he presented, completely different than everybody else, and they really, and, and and that's how you that's how you make it in this business. You gotta. You gotta have a little creative creative ideas in your head and, and go with them.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like like it didn't it didn't have Chris's or it didn't have Seth's voice as Chris. No, like you know Chris, you know I, I originally when I first saw Family Guy, I did not know that was Seth Green. People well, had to tell I mean, me I later on. Some later of the voices
2: yeah. are much more obvious. Like Mila Kunis is, is an obvious voice because anybody who watched that '70s show would would recognize her voice immediately.
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's great to see that you know Seth was doing that. But um, but uh, uh, you know, it's great to hear that you're a fan of those kind of things because uh, I'm sure there are a lot of stuff that you like that uh, you know have you know are the, the the furthest thing away from trauma that you could, You know,
2: oh, I mean, I I, <laughs> I like uh, good movies too, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying that trauma movies are not good movies, but they are what they are, and we're not going to call them what they're not. You know.
1: Right. Um, have I, you so tried, I, like, I, the and, and the work brother, I've like, I mean, like I've, I've worked
2: with, with a number of major directors, Woody Allen being only one of them. I also worked with... The, I did a, a number of scenes, although more of, a, of an extra type role in a, in a, in a movie uh, directed by Sidney Lumet, one of the greatest directors. And uh, I, uh, I worked on a, on a Schwarzenegger movie called The Last Action Hero... And Have
1: you been in Last Action Hero? Well, you're
2: never going to see me. The most you're going to see, if you look real fast and you know when to look, is you'll see the hood of my car. That's about it. It's, uh, it was a strange experience, but it was a, it was a very enjoyable one. Uh, I play. This was uh, in the scene. Are you familiar with the movie?
1: Yes, I, I own it. Yeah. Okay.
2: Oh, so it's yours now, huh?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's a great movie.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's 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 a terrific movie. Uh, and, and the only problem was it didn't do that well in, in the box office because uh, I think they overhyped it a bit. It was his first movie after Terminator 2, and they were just expecting all these incredible things for it, and it just it just wasn't ready for it. But it was huh. a great movie, a great spoof of of other movies. It was it was so many little things. It's the kind of movie you can watch over and over again and catch more and more of these little inside jokes and things. That I really enjoyed, but anyway, uh, the scenes that I, that I worked on were all done in in those scenes when in the real world on Times Square. When he first comes out of the uh, uh, the screen in that movie theater, uh, he goes outside, and the first thing he does is he smashes the window of a car parked outside to steal the car, uh, and discovers that in this world, when you smash the window of a car, it actually hurts.
1: Right, right, right. I and know. uh... He, he later
2: destroys that car and so there's a, there's a number of scenes on the street there uh, that I was so I, me and a number of other people were standing around on the streets as, as just the background characters walking around and, but here's the the interesting trauma connection uh, you have to look carefully and I think there's a couple of places where you could see it but uh, what happened was this was done in the, in the, in 90 in the winter of 92 into 93 i think it was february of 93 when this was filmed and the Times Square was already pretty much uh, locked down. I mean, the, all the old theaters had closed, all the all the uh, the, sli- the slime had pretty much been uh, cleaned up, but it wasn't yet turned into Disneyland. The, old, the, the new places hadn't opened yet, so a lot of the old theaters were still sitting around as just empty shells. So in order to make the scene look like Times Square was still active, they just you know put new new light bulbs into all the marquees and they put. Fake movie titles up on all the, on all the, 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 the thing, all, the, all those marquees. And some of those titles were actually kind of funny, reminiscent of, of the old Times Square, because I, I used to be a big fan. I used to go to Times Square to see movies all the time. And, uh, they needed posters to put into the, into the, uh, into the movies the theaters. The, so the outside of the theaters, and they all had these little entranceways where you could walk in and see posters and lobby cards and things like that. So they wanted to put all those things in now, of course. Why spend the money to do that when right around the corner, a few blocks down, is the trauma offices? So somebody contacted trauma and said, hey, would you like to supply us with posters? And trauma said, sure, we'll even send somebody down to hang them up. So the whole street was plastered with trauma posters. Hmm. Uh, things like, uh, I remember seeing right near where I was standing was a zombie island massacre poster. There were toxic, there were, uh, Kabuki Man posters. There were Toxic Avenger posters. You know, all, all the usual uh, uh, things. In fact, I remember at one point watching Schwarzenegger walking by one of those theaters, and he was looking at, at, very closely, very intently, at one of the posters and the, and the, lobby, and, and the, the, the behind-the-scenes photos surrounding it. And it was the poster for Troma's War, and the photos surrounding it included a photo of this blonde uh, who has just been shot in the back. And I wish I was allowed to walk over to him, because they, they made it a strict rule that nobody was allowed to approach him. Uh, you know, we were lesser citizens, we weren't allowed to go over and say hello or anything. But I wish I could have told them that I was, you know, the guy who shot her in the back. <laughs> because I think that would have made for an interesting conversation, at least for 10 seconds. But, uh, you know, so there there I was out in the street for three three nights. It was filmed overnight in February in the cold with freezing rain coming down uh, most of the time. And then the, the last part of the scene, and again, not knowing anything about the story or, or, or where these scenes fit in, I had no idea. Uh, where they fit until I saw the final film. There's a scene when the ambulance, uh, when the kid is driving the ambulance back to return Arnold to his to his fake world because he had been shot, and now you have the kid driving and 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 practically you know crashing as he as he drives into the front of the theater uh, to 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 bring uh, Arnold back to the screen. So uh, one of the odd things that happened, which in later retrospect is kind of stupid when you think about it is that the car that, that was out there in front of the theater when uh, Arnold first came out and smashed it, that car was later destroyed in a little col- head-on collision with a taxi in, a, in, a, in an alleyway somewhere in the movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And now they're filming this scene that's supposed to be like towards the very end of the movie where they're now coming back to the theater to return him to his world. And they actually contacted me because they wanted... Well, normally, when you do a movie, you, you make your own. Especially in New York, where where they expect you to be able to make your own way there because there's public, good public transportation. They don't ask you to bring a car, and uh, if you do bring a car, it's your responsibility to find a place to park it or put it in a parking lot. And the amount of money they were paying me, it wasn't worth for me to to do that. But uh, they, in this case, wanted my car because they needed cars for the street, and uh, so they paid me to bring my car. So instead of having to put it in the parking lot, I got to park it on set. And, uh, and I got paid an extra, little extra something just for bringing it. So it was a, a win-win for me. But in the last day that I worked, they asked me if I could, you know, they said, We don't need you anymore, but we would like to have your car back. I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, we, we looked at your car, and we realized it looks very much like the car that was in that other scene. And we'd like to, but that car has been uh, destroyed now, and we'd like to put your car in, in front of the theater. So when the ambulance makes that, that sharp turn to drive into the, into the, into the theater, it would pass by your car, and uh, I wasn't too comfortable with that idea. So
0: you're uh, afraid because that they're if gonna they had
2: damaged that? that car, sure they would pay for it, but it would cause me a lot of difficulties, put it mildly. And uh, I ended up saying saying no to them, which they were kind of surprised. They didn't think anybody would turn down the opportunity an uh, opportunity like that. But I, and I wasn't in the business of of giving my car out for for making movies. It wasn't a, a special car or anything. And uh, they were at least going to pay you for that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't going to be enough to, for the hassle involved. Because, yeah. so, you know, how do I get the car there? What do I what do? I, I mean, I used the car to go to work in those days.
1: And they said so they don't need you anyway, so they... Right, so they wanted to pay to have you there, so it wasn't ahead. worth
2: it. And uh, so, but when I discovered later what the scene was, I mean, it was absolutely a stupid idea, because why would the car that was there when he first came out of the screen and, you know, and drives off with and demolishes, why would that car be back in front of the theater at the end of the movie when they're bringing the, the, the ambulance there? it makes uh, no sense.
1: I, I said so they might not have even used it. They might have realized then, you know, afterwards like, "Oh my god, it makes no sense." And then you know, they've got your car and I have, I have no idea what you. was
2: on their mind. But it's it is funny though that, that after I looked at it after the fact, that it made no sense.
1: Yeah. So but that's that's
2: big time show business for you. Yeah,
1: that's that's really great. Um and um, you know, it, 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 and it's good that you've been doing all these like films and doing. Well, you know, one, one
2: more, one more little thing I wanted to tell you about that. Mm-hmm. Because we were on Times Square and we were basically on Forty Second Street, there's a lot of people in Manhattan, even in the middle of the night, walking around, and they were not allowed to block the street off completely. So every time they were in between shots, they had to let people walk through, and they had to let cars go through. Anytime they were ready to do a shot, they were allowed to stop the people and stop the cars. The problem is how do you make sure that the people that remained on the street were your people? Because if anybody else that wasn't your people gets on film, you have legal issues when you try to release the film. So uh, when we would sign sign in each night to to, to get when we first got there, they would give us a card that said that we were part of the the, the crew. And uh, so we would get carded. And I remember this specifically, that uh, they never carded me. In other words, when they would go through and look to see this for some reason, uh, I stuck out enough in their minds that every time they walked by, they recognized that I was the same guy that was there before and that I'm supposed to be there. But this other guy standing about 20 feet away from me, this uh, nice black gentleman, he complained to me at one point that, that they carted him every time. And he was wondering if uh, there were some questionable reasons for that. And in other words, he didn't stand out enough, and, and they just assumed that uh, a black guy standing on 42nd Street could be anything. So I'd have to ask him to, to see his ID card. And, of course, once he had the card, there was no problem. But, uh, you know, another interesting little little tidbit of uh, of the, of what happens in the real world.
1: Yeah, definitely. And what happens on last action hero, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, and uh, did you ever get a chance to meet John McTiernan?
2: Uh, no, not really. I mean, he was there. I saw him, but no, I didn't meet him. Uh, I did get to meet Sidney Lumet when I worked with him on uh, this, the uh the movie *A Stranger Among Us*, where I played a Hasidic rabbi, uh, the one that starred Melanie Griffith.
1: Hmm.
2: I did get to meet uh, Luke Bassan, who was a great director, when he was directing the movie *The Professional*.
1: Ah, yeah. And, um, so, were you actually uh, like uh, extra at all in that movie, or?
2: I, I actually, in that case, it was more like my car was the extra in that movie. I was in the car driving. The scene was. Uh, uh, are you, have you seen? Are you familiar with that
1: movie? Uh, yeah, I seen it a long time ago. So. Well, there's
2: a, basically there's a big scene that takes place a whole a good chunk of the movie in this uh, apartment building on uh, uptown on Broadway, uh, where uh, Jean Reno lives and uh, where he meets Natalie Portman and, and she ends up hanging out with him and then she she tries to escape. Uh, you know, he sends her out and he he eventually. Uh, Gary Oldman comes in as the as the insane cop that's been chasing Jean Reno. Mm-hmm. So when when the cops first come to that building, when they realize that Jean Renault was in that building, there's a mad rush of, of police cars and other emergency vehicles coming there, and and they're blocking off the street. And just at that moment, uh, I'm on that ro- on that street, and they want to get all the cars that don't belong there out. So they bring in cop cars up the side streets to block the uh, the, the, the the access to that block. And uh, just when they do that, there's a taxi cab in front of me, and then there's me in my car, and the taxi cab does a, a, a has to, is forced to do a swerve like a, like a 180 to avoid uh, h- hitting the the cop cars as they pull up, and I'm supposed to just stay back enough so that I don't hit that car when he does his little antics because there was a stunt driver in there, and uh, and I'm the car behind him, and uh, basically after that gets settled, the, the cop uh, pulls away for a minute to let us get out, and then the, and then the scene continues. But when they set the scene up, we were in the lobby of that building, and they had a a mock-up of the streets on a a piece of oak tag paper, and there was Luc Besson with his couple of helpers there, and they had all these little cars and all these little trucks, these little toys. They had uh, police cars and an ambulance and a tow truck and different things, and then regular cars, and they basically assigned everybody to each car they they were representing so they could show us what they wanted us to do and what the scene was going to look like. And it was him himself, uh, you know instructing us on what to do, and I, and I you know, so I, I found all those, those great little insights about how, how films are made, and how little scenes like that are, are, are created.
1: Yeah, and especially, like, it's really cool to hear from a, uh, you know, a Hollywood perspective, like what they do, as opposed to you working on the, all the indie sets, you know, like... Right, 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 so much very, different. very
2: different feel to it, uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I enjoyed my work uh, with the... Uh, uh, with the trauma of people, much more because I got to be much more involved and I got to do more, and I got right. to, you know, a real part of the story you know, and a real part of the character, you know, a real character uh, where you, you, where you, I didn't have to worry that somebody might blink and then they wouldn't see me.
1: Definitely, uh, in, and in, they, in you get a you days. get a pretty good part, right? You know,
2: doing right doing all those, and and I can also contribute. I mean, when when we were doing Kabuki Man, then there were some scenes that weren't. There was one particular scene that they were having trouble figuring out how to, how to make it work, and uh, I made a suggestion, and uh, Lloyd liked it, and we filmed it that way, and he later said that I should get a director's credit. Of course, he was joking, but, you know, it's just a matter of uh, being able to contribute if you had something uh, important to say.
1: Now, what what, do you, what are your thoughts? Like, have you uh, have you read those? Make your own damn movie book, or you know? I, I
2: read the uh, the first book. The well, uh,
1: I need to know from
2: right. That's the one that has my picture in it.
1: <laughs>
2: Me and uh, Marv Albert. I don't know if you're familiar with that picture.
1: Um, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm sure I've seen it because I've I've got both of those books. So.
2: And this was a picture I gave them uh, from one of my appearances on the Letterman show.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, I did want to discuss that, but I wasn't sure when to like segue into it. But I guess this would be perfect time.
2: Sounds like and, a segue to me.
1: Yeah, um, you know the this uh, is the, um, you know, what was it like to work on the Letterman show?
2: Well, I'll I'll start from the from the beginning with that. Uh, the beginning is I never sent them any any headshots or anything. But this was back at the time when I was still pursuing acting uh, in in all in all of its. Uh, Complexions. So any any kind of you know I would see these ads in the, in the in the in backstage and I would send in my headshots and occasionally I would get a call. Sometimes I would get into the movie. Sometimes I wouldn't. And as a result of doing this, there was a certain number of, of main uh, companies that did the, that did the, the casting calls that the specialized in providing extras and things like that. And they would have a file of, of, of actors and I would be considered a character. So they had me uh, in their character file. Uh, so sometimes I would get a call even though I hadn't sent in something. Well, and this is one of those cases. I, uh, the day in question, I was actually uh, uh, my first day on the set of A Stranger Among Us, that uh, Melanie Griffith movie, and uh, it was a it was a bad day for me because they had totally screwed up my wardrobe. Uh, and the, the, the suit that they had gotten for me didn't fit, didn't even get close to fitting. So I wasn't going to be sh- sh- uh, shot for any scenes that day. So I'm, but I'm just hanging around because I'm well, I'm on location in Queens, and I drove to my car to Manhattan to go to where we were we were meeting. So I, had to, I was going to have to stay there all day and wait for them to leave. Uh, but around noon, I made a phone call to my house to check my messages, and there was a message from the Letterman people saying, uh, you know, they're they're looking for for some people, and would I be interested? So uh, I spoke to the people from the well. I called them back, and they basically said what they needed, and they needed me. They were looking for big guys for, for a, 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 a scene, and uh, they needed to know pretty quickly if I could be there by a certain time. So I said, I'll call you right back. I'll check with the people here. And I, I spoke to the people there again. And it was fairly early in my acting career, so I, I didn't want to do anything uh, inappropriate and, and, and get on anybody's bad side. So I wanted to find out if it was okay for me to leave. And I said, sure, as long as you, you sign your voucher and you acknowledge that, that uh, they're not responsible for bringing me back uh, to, to Manhattan because they take that responsibility seriously. They don't take people to locations and, and abandon them, so they want to make sure they know who they're supposed to be bringing back. I said, no, oh, no problem. So I called the Letterman people up, and they said, well, you have to get here by a certain time, and uh, if you do, uh, we'll, we'll use you. Uh, but there was a chance I wasn't going to make it on time, and they said, well, if you don't make it on time, uh, we will pay for your, for your cab fare. So you won't be you know, out any, any, any money for, for trying. I said, okay, it sounds like a good deal. So I call a a car service and I end up in one of these uh, pound car type limos. It even had a cell phone in it. And I took the the phone and I made a call to my office because I had taken that day off as a vacation day from my regular job. So I called one of my friends and I said, hey, you know, I'm I'm leaving the movie set right now uh, and I'm going to the TV set, to the TV show. And it it just had that strange, I said, you know, this is not me. I mean, I'm not a, a Hollywood guy. But to be going from one to the other was was very bizarre for me. I showed up about ten minutes late, and they already had the, the ten guys they were going to be using already dressed in costume. They took one look at me, uh, called one of the guys out of, out of the group, took the costume off of him, sent him home, and gave it to me. And after that, I ended up uh, doing uh, a, a dozen more appearances on the show and about another dozen or more times that they called me down and paid me and, and, and didn't use me. So it was a good uh, stretch.
1: Um, so, as far as, uh, you know, making those movies, you know, doing all those movies and whatnot, uh, or the, the, you know, episodes of the show, um, do you look back at it and go, oh, my God, that was a pretty cool experience?
2: Oh, incredibly cool experience. Even to this day, uh, when I watch shows like Letterman, I, I always get a, an extra kick because I look at him and I say, I've worked with this guy many times. In fact, there were three of, the, uh, three of the appearances, two of them that aired, I uh, played his son. This was years before he had a, he had his real kid. Uh. And uh, you know the, 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 the seeing, seeing me uh, wearing a Barney T-shirt uh, riding a bicycle with him uh, showing me and holding the handlebars for me, uh, as if I was his little kid, and I got this and I'm this big guy who weighs about 200 pounds more than him, and I got a beard. Uh, kind of a strange look for his son, but uh, that was it. That was Letterman. At that time, he liked to use a lot of big, heavy people in his comedy bits, and he had a whole roster of them that he used over and over again. And some of them got a lot more activity than I did. Uh, I wasn't always available because of my regular job, so there were some times I couldn't do it. There was one or two times I I chose not to when when I found out what they wanted me to do. But generally, uh, I mean, like I got called once by... uh, Conan O'Brien, I believe it was, and uh, what they wanted me to do I did not want to do so I, I ended up saying no and I didn't do the show. They wanted me to play the dead body of uh, uh what's his name uh, Marlon Brando oh man, but you know what i'm I, you know I'm not trying to put a, a too too fine a point on this but I, I want I wanted to be seen I wanted to do something to lie there as a as a dead body with a with a mask on my face it, it, i, I I mean, there are actors who would be happy to do that because they, they needed to make a living to get their next meal, but uh, I had a regular job paying me a, a decent salary, so I didn't need to do that just for that. I, I wanted to work where... It were, and in fact, that's why I eventually gave up doing the extra work in the, in the mainstream movies because, I, I mean, it was fun for a while. I got to meet some interesting celebrities and work with some interesting directors, but ultimately I got very little exposure from any of that. And I realized it was just uh, grunt work uh, that uh, wasn't going to get me anywhere. I wasn't going to get those those magical opportunities that you hear about from from doing the extra work. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to put myself through that anymore. And uh, and then I just pursued uh, things like trauma and, uh, and enjoyed doing that much much more. Well, that's that's
1: cool though that uh, you know then even though you did turn it down, it's not like it was going to hurt you.
2: No, not at all. Turning
1: it down. I mean. You still got other offers, you know, from them to do other stuff, right? I mean,
2: yeah, oh yeah, with Letterman. Oh no, they always made that very clear. Especially, I mean, in this particular case, they knew that it was something uh, that uh, that not everybody would want to do, and that's why they spoke to me about it up front, saying, "Look, this is what the scene involves. If you don't want to do it, we're not going to be upset with you." This was a a New Year's Eve type of a show, and in this this was a Letterman thing, and they wanted to do something about you know Dave doing his his. Uh, his New Year's resolution and uh, his New Year's resolution was all about him treating his uh, his staff with more uh, respect and more dignity. And uh, the idea is he, he often interacts with his cue card uh, guy, where where you know you know he's reading off cue cards even if when you're watching the show. And then sometimes, you know, they turn the camera around and you see the guy standing there holding the cue cards. Well, in this case, he's standing there giving, doing his resolution, and he says, "I'm going to treat my staff with more." respect and more what's that last word? I can't see it and I turn to camera and you expect to see the cue card guy holding up the cue card but you don't instead you see a fat guy with a big belly and no shirt on and he lifts up his big stomach and under the fold of his stomach is the word dignity
0: Hmm. I said you know
2: I don't really need to do that I mean I'm not embarrassed of what I look like but that's just unnecessary
1: that's uh, that's letterman for you, though, right? They, I, mean, I
2: mean, it was fine for him to do it. I'm just saying it was unnecessary for me to do. I didn't need the work, so hopefully the guy who did it uh, needed it and bully for him, you know. Uh, and, I don't. And whenever people.
1: you guys do it, uh, I never really like when I look at the credits. I never really like see if uh, any of the you know pretty much the small guests and everything. Uh, do you guys ever get credit on the?
2: On Letterman? No, yeah. So. no.
1: Yeah. he
2: doesn't. There are no credits on a show like that. Even even the major guests don't get their names. And the, there's no in the closing credits. There are no no actor names.
1: Hmm. So it's just the just the crew, pretty much.
2: Right. I mean, the only names you get is in the upfront part where they announce you know who's going to be on the show that day. I mean, I remember one day when I was there. Uh, I always uh, one of the first things they always had me do was sign the the contract because uh, I I did get into after which you have to be in to do that kind of work. And uh, so sort of that was the first thing I was doing. One, one, one day they handed me one to sign, and I realized that the uh, the dollar amount was wrong. It was, a, it was a little higher, but I also noticed that the name was wrong. It didn't say Joe Fleischhager. It said Dennis Hopper. And I said to the person who handed it to me, I said, I know the resemblance is uncanny, but I'm not. <laughs> in-
1: so he, you're like, you know, I don't think I'm Dennis Hopper, but thank you for.
2: But thank you for thinking of me, right. And, uh, it, but it was interesting. Although I didn't meet Dennis Hopper that day, I did meet many interesting celebrities over the time that I worked, you know, That I went to the Letterman show, because uh, many of the segments I filmed were not done live on on stage in front of the audience. Although some of them were, but many of them were filmed in in, in advance of the episode, usually the day before, uh, and they're usually filmed after he completes the shooting of of, of that day's show. Uh, so he'll shoot his show while I'm you know hanging out in the green room. So usually in the green room is where I would meet some of the other actors that are waiting to go out. I remember one time Chevy Chase was a guest, and I was in the green room. And he was a strange case, because when I walked in there and I said hello, he looked at me like, you know, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And, uh, and why are you saying hello to me? You, get, you know, a, a kind of a dirty look. And then I said, well, I'm, I'm here to do a scene with Dave after, after the, the, today's shooting, at which point he, uh, he, he smiled and was more polite. But he was a very nervous guy. He was very worried that he wasn't going to get his amount of time on screen that he that he wanted. Because uh, when you're in there, you can watch the taping of the of the show as it's progressing, and everything that happened there, he was looking at it. And and if anything happened that looked like it was taking a little longer than maybe it had to, he was he was verbally saying, you know, I'll, you know, that's going to take away from my time. And there was a woman there. I don't know if she worked for him or for Letterman, but she spent the whole time just trying to calm him down and assuring him that they won't take time out of his appearance, that if they have to take the time out, they'll take it away from the musical guest. Hmm. Which, which, when you think about it, is kind of silly, because if you're a musical guest, all you're doing is doing your song, and if your song is a three-minute song, they're not going to tell you to do it in a minute and a half.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, well, you know, but he was just going a little nuts, and that was, uh, that was uh, one, of my, one of my memories of that. But I, I met uh, uh, Warren Beatty, I met Jack Hanna, the guy who always brought all the animals, uh, I met uh, David Spade and Chris Farley. Oh
1: wow, that's pretty cool! At the same time, like. at the
2: same time, they they both walked in, and when they walked into the room, there were three big guys like me there, being ready to do a scene. And I remember, I remember saying to Chris Farley at the time, I said, "Hey Chris, I bet you walking in here, you you feel a little skinnier."
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, he, he didn't he didn't respond to that, but uh, that's okay. It didn't bother me. I was just happy that I got to say it, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I'm sure he was, like, a little, like, you know, preoccupied thinking about what he was well, going
2: through. Well, who knows what, what what's he was going thinking. through a guy's mind, whether he had, a, had an issue with, with that or whether he was offended. I, I have no idea. But, you know, I didn't. Well, I'm
1: just saying he was probably thinking about his own, you know, doing his, his own
2: appearance. Day. Yeah, sure.
1: Doing his, And one of
2: the guys doing, uh, that was involved in many of the scenes that I did there was an actor named Leonard Tepper, who ended up becoming a, a pretty much of a regular on, on Letterman for about a year or so, where he appeared almost two or three times a week. And he was one of these goofy-looking guys, and uh, uh, he actually had, had, uh, had been involved with trauma. He was in the movie uh, Waitress, mm-hmm. and he appeared in the poster for the movie Girl School Screamers.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so he, was, he did uh, many, many uh, appearances, and a number of them that with, with, with I was in as well. And then a few years later, uh, he passed away. He he wasn't a healthy person. But he was a complete nut job, and uh, he had this really creepy-looking face that he could screw up into this really bizarre look, and uh, they, they liked it. So, you know, that's okay, cool. you know? Cool.
1: So, um, anyway, so I guess uh, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, uh, a lot of the trauma stuff, because you, you, since you've been in almost, all like the ones since, uh, since Toxic Avenger 2? You know, all the ones that at least Lloyd's directed? Well, the you know? first
2: one was Trauma's War. That was before Toxic Trauma's Avenger yeah, 2. Yeah, that,
1: that's what I meant. Since Trauma's War, pretty much.
2: Yes, that's, that is correct. All of their own productions. I mean, they've made some that are considered sort of their productions, but they were made out in California, which means that Lloyd really didn't have his hand in it as much. But all the ones that were really, truly trauma since, since Trauma's War, I've been involved.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't think there's been, like, many that he's not really been, like, other than once he distributes himself, you know, that he well, has... No, actually. there's
2: a group of films that he had uh, India Allen make for him.
1: Oh, the Tales from the Crapper?
2: Um, well, Tales from the Crapper originally started that way, but uh, they, they weren't happy with what it looked like, so he sort of took it on board and wrapped around it with his own stuff.
0: Hmm.
2: And uh, so I got involved with that. But uh, originally it was going to be done, all, all of it done out in California by, by that group. But they had done uh, a couple of other uh, things. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, uh, some Western-themed things with with girls. I forget what they called it.
1: There's one, I think. Did Indiana, Ed, India Allen uh, also do uh, Parts of the Family?
2: She may have. I, I don't I don't remember.
1: Oh, okay. You were part I of that, I,
2: think though, I, right? I, I didn't do any scenes that I remember, but I think they may have put something with, with me in it. I don't, I don't recall for sure. And then, and then any any of their DVD releases in the last few years, uh, I'm at least in some of the supplemental segments, uh, like the uh, the tour of the Tromaville uh, building with the, the so whenever they see the commissary, uh, it's me wolfing down some cheeseburgers or. Uh, when Lloyd was promoting his books, we shot a little segment outside of his office that I was in. Things like that. A number of segments where I played uh, Michael Hers.
1: Yeah, um, I, I wanted. Yeah, I, I wanted to discuss that too. Is uh, uh, when Lloyd walked up to you and said, "Hey, you're going to be playing Michael Hers." What was your first like initial reaction?
2: No, I, I thought it was a little nuts, but I, uh, they told me the reason. They said basically Michael doesn't want to appear on camera; he prefers not to. So this was done originally almost as a as a joke on him, but he went along with the joke and he he enjoyed it as much as the next guy. So we, we continued with it, and then I came up with my own uh, uh, official nickname that I uh, that I that I think they're using in my screen credit for Poultry Guys. My nickname is Mega Hers.
1: <laughs> Mega Hers, it's awesome.
2: Uh, in fact I remember uh, when we did the rap party for uh, I'm trying to remember we, one of the more recent movies I'm trying to remember which one uh, and uh, we were at this at the Korova milk bar the the the, the bar that's uh, designed to to look like uh, the the bar from uh, a clockwork orange in the city and uh, so we were there for this rap party for one of the movies. It might have been uh proxy Four. And this attractive uh, young lady comes over to me uh, with a few of her friends and introduces herself as, uh, as uh, Michael Herz's daughter. And she says, I just wanted to introduce my friends to the guy who plays my father. <laughs> and Michael Herz basically weighs about the same as one of my legs. So it was kind of funny.
1: <laughs> exactly. And um, uh, Michael actually came on uh, for the 21st anniversary uh, uh, Toxic Avenger thing for, you know, to, for an interview. Yes, and uh, I I love how you kick him out. Yes. At yes. the end and say uh, you know what are you doing in my office? You
2: know? Exactly, exactly. So
1: yeah. I that that yeah, was a really good joke.
2: And... Uh, the the uh, the one that I I really got a kick out of uh, was um, was it that wasn't was it that one or I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, it may have been the one for Romeo and Juliet, where we were showing the, the thirty years of trauma and showing the different decades how we kept trying to make the movie. Over and over again, and uh, and uh, and how um, uh, each time I, I pitched a movie it was uh, you know so I started off with a full beard and then I had uh, a, a goatee and then I had just uh, the mustaches like the guy from American Chopper and then I was totally shaven so we had four completely different looks and we did these segments try to remember I know Debbie Rashawn was in it and Lloyd was in it and. Uh, I think uh, uh, Debbie Rochon was was supposedly playing this third partner that uh, nobody no, nobody realized was part of the of the, the trauma team, uh, and uh, and then uh, I don't know if we killed her or what. I, I don't remember the whole deal, but it was it's 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 in the intro on in one on one of their on one of their DVDs, and it's actually pretty hilarious. I know yeah. we did a DVD, uh, not a DVD, a laserdisc intro for Romeo and Juliet, where I got to play. Uh, Jane Jensen.
1: Really? Why, why didn't they ever put that on the DVD?
2: I think it's now. I think they did put that on the DVD. On the it, it wasn't on one, the original, yeah. but I think it's on the ten-year uh, anniversary edition.
1: Huh. And after I haven't gotten that one because I've got you know I've got the old uh, regular Tromeo Enjoy it, but I might have to re you know I might have to re it anyway because it's starting to get kind of scratched up anyway.
2: Well, and one of the craziest uh, people I ever worked with was in Trauma's War. The, 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 old, the, old, the elderly lady who, who played, uh, uh, well, she played in, in Toxie 2 and 3, she played uh, Toxie's mother. And in Trauma's War, she played one of the survivors of the plane crash. And uh, he's pretty much nuts. And I remember on one of the trips back from the location at Trauma's War, we were in a van and uh, we were talking about the, the low budget nature of the film. And she was getting really upset with us. What do you mean low budget? You, have you seen the budget? You don't know what I don't do low budget movies, and we're all laughing. <laughs> um, she had actually worked in a in a Fellini movie years ago when she had worked when she was working in Italy as a, as a as a woman in her twenties. So she had actually done a movie with Fellini,
1: and she wow, once really a, cool, showed
2: me her press kit and showed me the pictures. Huh. It was it was legit.
1: And and you know uh, it's great because you probably met a lot of people who well, even though they were just like little, you know, parts in the movies. I mean, some of them went on to do some pretty cool stuff. Yep, yeah,
2: yeah, you know?
1: yep. I I was listening. Well, I mean, to the James, James James Gunn
2: uh, was I was very good friends with him for a while, and he Oops. had written some pretty cool things about me in in his early days when he was doing reviews for trauma movies and, and the trauma website. He did a review of Trauma's War and made some strange comments about uh, worshiping me and uh, sacrificing goats in his basement in my name who is that James Gunn who oh, uh, James? was uh, who played in Toxie 4 he played the Stephen Hawking type character and uh, he was the co-writer of Lloyd's uh, book uh, the uh, everything I, I wanted to know I learned from the toxic Avenger
1: he, also oh, wrote of co- and Juliet. he
2: co-wrote Romeo and Juliet and uh, when he left and went out to California. He he ended up writing Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2 and writing the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And then more recently, he made a he he wrote and directed the movie Slither.
1: Yes, which uh, I've actually ta- uh, emailed him uh, uh, a little bit ago. Um, you know, trying to get him on the show, and he's uh, he's really busy. And... I I can imagine. But
2: he's a, he's a great guy. We we were we were buds back in the, back in the day. I I really haven't heard from him. And then uh, he, he later married uh, Jenna Fisher, the uh, actress from the TV show "The Office."
1: I think it, now they've split, but I'm yes not... they
2: have. And, uh, and I read an article about it in which uh, she talked about how it's uh, a very uh, a very pleasant uh, parting, and that who knows, maybe someday they'll get back together. so. You know, she didn't go into the details of why they parted, but they parted on good terms. I think that's
1: nobody's business, but theirs anyway. Think,
2: but parting on good terms is still a nice thing. It's still yeah. better than what you know some people do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I mean, I'm glad that they're still okay. You know, cool with each other, and it wasn't a really bad. Exactly. I mean, I'm happy no divorce, with but
2: because I saw some uh, behind the scenes stuff from Slither, and uh, some other stuff involving uh, them uh, with James Gunn and her. Uh, on, a, on a disc I got from Chroma. Did
1: you uh, did you uh, watch
2: Lolly Love? Uh, I, I never saw the whole thing. I just saw some clips from it.
1: Hmm.
2: So yeah, exactly. But once I saw some of behind the scenes stuff and I, and I and I saw her, I said, you know what, this is before they split up. Uh, when I when I I mean when I watched it, it was still before they split up. So I just thought, you know, he's a lucky guy. She seems like a great girl. Yeah, and
1: she's definitely a really funny. Um, actress, so
2: and and the show, The Office, isn't. I mean, I, I I was not a fan of it when it first came out because I was a big fan of the British version, and it's often that the British shows that are really good when they bring them here don't do as well. Uh, a couple of very strong examples. Oh, well, they're they're still
1: trying with different stuff, you know. But
2: the the Office uh, is one that uh, that they succeeded in beyond the, uh, anybody's wildest dreams because. One of the differences is in, in England, these shows are, are almost made as like the equivalent of like a mini-series. In other words, they don't intend to go on year after year after year. So they made their, their their dozen, 15 episodes, whatever it was, and then they just stopped it. And so, of course, a few of the early scripts that they did here were pretty much replicas of those scripts, and a lot of the characterizations were copies of those characters. But now the show's on its third or fourth year, and they're well beyond you know the number of episodes that they did in England. So their, their scripts are now, are, you know, their own, and their characters are developing and, and moving along in their own way. And I think the show is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's it's depressing at times that this poor schnook of a of a manager is, is that lost in, in in how the world works. But but at the same time, it's compelling. It's like a train wreck you you just have to watch.
1: Yeah, I'm just not you know, The Office for some reason has never really made me laugh, but oh you know, well, it's
2: not a, its not really a laugh out loud show. It's a little bit different. It's a little more, you know, makes you think kind of show. And its in it, it, the whole format of it is very unusual.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I just you know, I, I try
2: it. One of the great yeah. examples of where where British shows were attempted were in this country and not not done successful was when they tried to make an American version of Fawlty Towers many many years ago. Because the original I, I Fawlty Towers that, was made in the early seventies. Yeah. And the problem with the American version is the first thing they did is they they eliminated the character of Basil Fawlty.
1: <laughs> so so they eliminated the. It's actually, like trying to do
2: All in the Family and getting rid of Archie Bunker.
1: Yeah.
2: And or, or, the, or doing
1: uh, entourage and, and getting uh, and rid of Jason character Chase. character was played in
2: the in the American version was played by Beatrice Arthur. Really? Mm-hmm.
1: The Arthur. The Arthur,
2: yes. Um, little, it, it just it just. Was a
1: disaster. Oh, oh man, I can't believe that even existed. I wonder if that was on YouTube at all. See.
2: Well, I don't know, but it was a real show. I'm trying to remember now what they called it. The, I don't think they called it Faulty Towers. I think it may have a different name for it. But it was a, like
1: uh, it was definitely Faulty Towers that you know. Oh, like... there's
2: no question they were copying Faulty Towers, right? There's no doubt about it. But they just did a very poor job. Oh, there's I'm a couple totally other British shows that they they didn't do very well. The more the more recent one was uh, Coupling. Which is one of my all-time favorite British uh, sitcoms. That I think is over now, but they ran it for like three or four years in England, and it, it was an ama- It was like uh, it was like Friends uh, with a little sex thrown in. So you have your three guys and three girls, but uh, they don't meet in a in a coffee uh, club, uh, shop. They meet in a bar, and uh, most of their issues and their their interactions. Uh, revolve around uh, sexual frustrations and sexual successes and whatnot. And it w- it, it, it is hilarious. It's well written. And uh, when they came to make it in the U.S., uh, it lasted about two, three weeks on NBC and disappeared. And uh, I guess they never got the chemistry right.
1: Hmm. Well, I can't see that show. Um, Sid B. Arthur was on the show? Yes. I guess maybe it's not on IMDb, but...
2: Maybe not. You know, it wasn't uh, a highlight of her career.
1: <laughs> Maybe she's like trying to make sure nobody ever sees that. Well, you
2: know, there are, there were many short-lived uh, series that, uh, that you know that, that, that just disappear and fade away. I mean, this one wouldn't even qualify for brilliant but cancelled.
1: Oh uh, yeah, the, there's, but yeah, there's there's that thing called but brilliant but, but cancelled. I don't uh, think
2: they've done a series called not brilliant but cancelled.
1: <laughs> uh, that would, that would be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really, really bad shows out there that they've never uh, uh, that's never seen the light of day again. And uh, sometimes they might be interesting to see because of uh, the people that are in them. Uh, you know, you know, sometimes you think of, like, the greatest movies ever made and things like that, and you, and you think about who they originally wanted to cast, you know. Just try to imagine Ronald Reagan in Casablanca kind of thing.
0: Hmm.
2: It's just hard to, to imagine it. But he was the original person they were planning on casting in the lead role. And that, I think it would have been a different movie.
1: I'm trying to say um, I'm looking up Faulty Towers, and it says that there was remade twice. Uh, <clears throat> remade well, there as There one a later was one, a, a later
2: one with John Larroquette that I think was loosely based on it. Uh, 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 where he played uh, somebody named Payne or something. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's called Payne. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know if it was that John Larroquette was in it.
2: Yes, he played the lead cat- He played the the, uh, the Basil Fawlty character.
1: Huh.
2: A good choice, I would say. Cause of yeah, whole and then there line. was
1: Amanda's was the other one. Mm, right?
2: Yes, that's it, Amanda's. That's the one.
1: And that was the other one that was...
2: That was Beatrice Arthur, I'm pretty sure.
1: So. Huh. I have a good
2: memory for this type of details. I mean, this was a long time ago.
1: Yep, the author. Yeah, you're right. So mm-hmm. it only it, it, it lasted, but they don't, um, you know, they don't say how many season episodes or.
2: No, it, I don't think it made it a full season. It, it wasn't just,
1: even. It was pre-Golden Girls, I guess.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So it wasn't even her, uh, her big, you know, her big break.
2: No, no, it wasn't. But it was one of those things where they they wanted to. I guess they wanted us to make a, a vehicle for her, so they got, so they got rid of the, the male character, but it was kind of a dumb idea.
1: Well, you know, I mean, because it, was, it wasn't you know, because what made they the had show. Have, you know? It's not that you
2: couldn't have made the, the, the female character a bigger part, but it was the interaction between the two that was the, the one of the main aspects of the whole show. So you're getting rid of one of the main things, uh, and, and uh, you, you just hurt the whole thing. I mean, there were so many other uh, copies, uh, some with mixed results. Like uh, Cosby did a show a few years ago. That was a uh, a remake of a British show called One Foot in the Grave.
1: Hmm. Never even heard of that.
2: That was a British. That was a British name. The Cosby's name I I, may have been just called the Cosby Show or something, but it was not. You know, this was much later than uh, than his than the Cosby Show that, that that was big. I don't remember what they called this one. I think it was just called Cosby, actually. Oh
1: was, yeah,
2: the new Cosby. Oh, uh, I don't know. I just I, maybe that, or maybe it was just called Co- Cosby. I'm not sure.
1: Hmm. I mean, but it was the newest one that he had done. Uh, yeah,
2: I think so. It had uh, Kadeem Hardison in it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. those
2: was the newest one. And uh, you know, it lasted a, a little while. And, and and in fact, some again, some of the earlier episodes were, were 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 scripts that were virtually copied from uh, the British version. But one of the problems there, once again. Is uh, where where people make conscious decisions to change things because the main character in the British version played a very uh, you know, an old retired crabby nasty guy who hated the world, and uh, Bill Cosby didn't want to play him that severe. He wanted to be a little nicer, but that took some of the edge away from the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I, I like uh, Bill's shows. You know, like all the stuff that he's done, even even like um, that Albert. You know, the cartoon he did.
2: So, In fact, I met him uh, when I was working on the movie Stranger Among Us, the, the Sydney Moumet movie with Melanie Griffiths, because part of it was filmed at the Kaufman Astoria Studios at the time when Cosby was still being made, and that was where his headquarters were. That's where he had his offices, and that's where he filmed. So I met him, I met uh, the young girl, Keisha Knight Pullman, and I met uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner. And I remember when I met uh, Malcolm, I, I I was dressed up like a Hasidic Jew, as was most of the characters. And I remember telling Malcolm, I thought that the Cosby show, one of the things that was missing is they didn't have enough Hasidic characters in the movie. I wasn't serious, but I don't think he, I don't think he, he knew whether I was serious or not. And, and, the, and the thing was, although there were a number of, of actual Hasidim involved in, in bit parts, most of the uh, actors dressed as Hasidic Jews were not Hasidic Jews. They may have been Jewish, they may not have been Jewish, but they were all in character. Because most of the Hasidic Jews wouldn't even be involved in an acting career. They have no interest in show business. So it was a little, a little, a little strange. I mean, the whole experience was strange. Just watching all these regular people walking in the door and uh, and getting online to get their beards put on and to get their side, their side, the curly sideburns put on, and then they all get into their black suits and black hats. I mean, they just had racks and racks of black suits. That's all anybody wore, and it, it was it was kind kind of funny. I remember. Uh, uh, doing a scene uh, out, outside in Queens and uh, almost tripping one of the main... Uh, in fact, tripping it. She tripped over my foot, Tracy Pollan, who was one of the main characters in that movie. Mm. That's uh, Michael J. Fox's wife, which I thought was an interesting connection because I also worked with Michael J. Fox on an episode of Spin City.
1: Uh, did you do an episode?
2: I did. And I've seen it many times in repeats, and, and uh, I didn't say anything, but I, I have a reasonable amount of screen time where you see me. Basically, this episode involves uh, the, the, the mayor announcing this new uh, modern bathroom that had been designed, and he was trying to take credit for it, and they had this big news conference with this fancy new bathroom, and uh, one of the features of the bathroom was these beautiful stalls that had these round design, and uh, when you went in, it, it sort of swung closed. And then when you left, uh, it it recognized like 20 different languages when you told it to flush, and it would would just flush by voice. And um, so during the interview, during this news conference, there was this big fat guy who was uh, there, and he asked a question uh, about whether uh, they take into consideration uh, fitting, you know, that these things should fit for everybody. And I said, what do you mean? And he gets up and he shows that he can't get in there. And at some point, it looks like he's stuck, and you can see off to the side Michael Michael J. Fox's character sort of mouthing to somebody, you know, get the jaws of life. And uh, so a couple of scenes later, uh, he, he this guy who happened to be a lawyer representing an organization of called the League of of large the League of Large New Yorkers uh, comes there with two of his uh, members of his organization, which was me and, and this other big guy, and we basically walk into Michael J. Fox's office. With our list of demands, and uh, in the in the office at of the time is uh, his secretary, uh, played by uh, what's her name? She's doing a lot of movies now. She's in that TV show Samantha. Who? Um,
1: I don't
2: know. That's <laughs> so it. Doesn't matter. But also in the room was Alan rock
1: Oh man, uh, you know Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I Alan Ruck. Exactly. I mean, you see, you see
2: these, are the, these are the little tidbits that I get a kick out of, because when I look at Ferris Brewer's Day Off, I remember Alan Ruck that I, that I had done a scene with, and I, had, and I had done a scene in the movie A Stranger Among Us with Renee Sulphur. Uh, not, uh, not Renee Sulphur, who was I thinking, the other person in there?
1: Um, Mia, Mia. Um, All right, Mia Sarah, that's right. Yes, yes. Mia
2: Sarah was also in A Stranger Among Us.
1: Nice.
2: So I, saw, so I, you know, two out of the three main characters of, of of Ferris Bueller are people that I have actually worked with. That's awesome. So even though I've done so, w- when you really look at it, I've done very little. But in my very little, I've had touches of all these different, you know, all these little connections. And 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 it's a it's a real kick. So go, it's going like back to like seven uh, of
1: Kevin Bacon, he said. Well, Kevin Bacon, I don't think Kevin I I, eight, I worked eight, with please. him. Hmm?
2: Uh, I don't. I never met Kevin Bacon. Well, I'm
1: just saying that you know, you know the game Seven Degrees is. Oh, oh,
2: yes, yes, yes. No, so I'm
1: sure you can get to seven. You know, oh, I could get to Kevin a lot Bacon of a lot
2: of people through that. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, agree. Um, I mean, I remember getting a, a call to do a, a scene for a uh, television show, and uh, this was a television show called Trinity. It was made by the producers of ER. And it was the show that they made before, when this show failed, they went on to make The West Wing. So this was before The West Wing was made, and uh, this was their next great show that they thought was going to be it. And it starred uh, the guy who uh, went on to West Wing to play the chief of staff for the president, and it had uh, Jill Clayburgh in it as well. And Tate Donovan was one of the main characters. I don't know if you know who he is. I uh, don't
1: know and I've hey Donovan, I on a name, lot of but... tv
2: and movie, movies. I remember him as a character as a repeating character for a few episodes of friends where he was uh Rachel's customer uh at when she was working in a in a fancy men's clothing store that she tries to connect with. Uh, anyway, he plays a, a priest and uh in in the in the scene that I am at I'm in Be- at Bellevue Hospital and uh, he he uh his, his, one of his uh parishioners uh, tries to commit suicide on the roof of a building, and, and Tate Donovan as the priest is there, and he's cradling him in his, in his arms while waiting for the, for the ambulance, and now he's, he went along with him to the hospital, so now he's sitting there waiting in the hospital for the results of, the, of the, 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 the attempt to save the guy's life, and he's covered in blood, and I'm sitting like two seats away from him as just somebody waiting for who knows what there in the hospital. So uh during the, the break times I got a chance to talk to him and I and I and I told him that it was kind of ironic that I'm sitting here with him and he's covered in blood because the last movie I had made before that was Terra Firma, in which uh I spent a lot of time covered in blood.
0: Hmm.
2: So I just look for those little hooks to, to make conversation. And while we were sitting there chatting, uh one of his friends came by, uh an actor and director by the name of Peter Berg. Oh, cool. So, you know, you just and I'm always friendly and I'm not bashful. So but I'm not pushy. I don't uh, you know I don't annoy people. So like when I when I when I did Spin City I was already a big fan of the show and I knew mo most of, you know who most of those characters were. And I knew some of their histories, you know, like uh what's his name? The mayor, you know, with his history of having been in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and things like that. So uh I was sitting not far from where the tables with all the food was set up and uh I was there for hours waiting for them to do things, and uh, as the actors went by, I would, you know, I would pick moments when you know when they're not talking to somebody or they're not reading a script, and you know, and they're, and they're sort of at a at a down moment, a quiet moment, and I would just walk over and introduce myself. I'm you know, doing a scene with you. I remember one of the characters. I went over and I said, "Oh, I'm playing a fat guy on your show today," and he looked at me, you know, with shock in his eyes. "Oh, don't, don't, you know, don't demean yourself that way. Don't talk." I said, "No, no, no. The character I'm playing is supposed to be a fat guy." Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read the script. Okay, you on. So he was. At first, he felt bad that I was, you know, just insulting myself by calling myself a fat guy. But you know, uh, I'm playing a character. So, uh, okay. I and you just
1: to, you know, not be too bashful about, you know, everything. Oh, well, the other
2: guy, the other guy that was in the scene with me, not the one who spoke, but the other, the, the, this big black guy who I had uh, done a couple of things with him on Letterman as well. Uh, he he was he thought you know oh no no don't approach anybody uh, I wanted to take pictures with with the other actors oh you can't do that you can't I said yes I can watch and I I did not interrupt any I mean I got a, a really nice reactions from from most of them the one person who at first I did not get a good reaction from was Richard Kind and then uh, when I saw him later and I spoke to him he, he apologized and, and 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 was real happy to pose for pictures and I got yeah I'm
1: sure I'm sure there are times when people are really stressed out so. You
2: know, oh, you don't know, you know where you're going to catch It's just a matter of, the of me finding the right moment and, and not being pushy. On the other hand, there were times when uh, the other actors went out of their way to be unfriendly. And when I told that story to a friend of mine, to this day, uh, sixteen years later, he still can't uh, watch movies with that guy in it. And that guy's name was um, uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I, w- I did a scene for the movie The Fisher King. Hmm. And in the scene were four people: Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges, Amanda Plummer, Mercedes Rule, and me.
1: Uh, so you're actually in the Fisher King?
2: No, the scene got cut out. Oh. Well,
1: do you think? You, did you check the DVD to see if there's any action? Actual- I
2: when at that time when the uh, ex- when they came out with the uh, special edition on the on the laser they had deleted scenes in there. So I bought the Laserdisc. And my scene didn't even qualify as a deleted scene, and that really pissed me off. It was a shortened scene, basically, not a deleted scene, so I I don't know. Maybe I should uh, take a look and see if if there's another version that maybe they have more of it there. Who knows?
1: Yeah, maybe they have a special edition. um... Yeah, it might be
2: worth doing it, because nowadays those things aren't that expensive. I mean, the Laserdisc was a lot of money. Back yeah, then.
1: back then, yeah. you know, when they were just especially, trying to get it out, I'm sure like the Blu-ray discs and stuff. You know, I
2: mean. Oh well, no, I, I don't have the equipment for Blu-ray yet. I was, I was, I wasn't in any great hurry. The one thing I certainly wasn't going to do was going to get anything until until the format wars were over. But yeah. it appears that Blu-ray, Blu-ray has won now. Ha-
1: has it? It, it over HD? Seems,
2: it seems that way. A number of the major companies have announced that they're only going Blu-ray. And, and that's all uh, I see. I
1: don't see HD ones in Walmart. I see Blu-rays.
2: And then uh, li- lately, over the last few weeks, when I hear a DVD ad on TV, they talk about being it on on DVD and blue and, and high definition blu rays So I think uh, pretty much it's 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 it happens fast once it happens because you know when you're battling it out, there's there's that big question mark of how much money you invest in one way or the other. But once the the edge tips in in one favor, it, it goes real fast. You know, it's like when phonograph albums uh, started fading in favor of uh, cassettes. Uh, at some point, uh, it, it it just went all, all practically overnight where they where they became obsolete. This technology moves very fast once it gets going. It gets a little momentum.
1: Definitely. So, well, all right. So, do you do you want to talk a lot about like a little bit more about your um uh, about some of the trauma stuff that, sure, like, uh,
2: sure, sure.
1: uh like, um, since that's mainly, like, that's been a pretty, uh, big chunk of your career, um,
2: oh, yeah, absolutely, um,
1: you know, did you I'll, want, to discuss, I'll start again um,
2: with a little bit about, more about trauma's war, because, uh, there, there was, you know, it was a, it was a special moment, because it was my, you know, getting myself on the map with the trauma people, basically, uh, they hired me basically just on the basis of a photograph I sent in. I, I don't believe I had to go down and see them originally, just to be an extra. And I remember I had to drive up to the location, and it took about two hours to get there. So I'm 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 there at something like seven in the morning, and uh, it's one of those things again. It was very early in my career. The only thing I'd done before that was the Woody Allen movie. So I had never done uh, an action film. Had never done a low budget film. Never done anything else, so I, I didn't have much to, to go by. But, uh, you know, you talk to other actors and you get a little idea of what, what, what's expected. And one of the things you you know is that the most important thing is to be there and to be ready. And part of being ready is to be in costume. So there's a crowd of people all wanting to get into costume, so they decided the best way to be fair about this is uh, to have a little uh, raffle. So everybody got a number and they picked it out, and they said, okay, this is the order we're going to go for getting people into costume. Because as soon as you get in costume... You go over to the set, and it just gives you an earlier opportunity to be placed in a good spot or to actually be in a scene while other people are still being put in the costume. Well, I ended up getting a very early number, and I was supposed to be one of the first people put in the costume. And when I get there, they say to me, well, what did you bring? I said, what do you mean, what did I bring? I said, where's your costume? I said, I wasn't told to bring a costume. I have, uh, I have my boots. I have my black uh, jeans on, but I, w- I wasn't told to. You know, I told them I didn't have any camouflage or anything like that because I was supposed to play a terrorist. So they got all mad at me, and they said, well, you're going to have to wait. And they put me aside, and I, I literally waited for three hours while they were, were costuming other people. And when they were finished, they started cobbling together a, a costume for me out of strips of material, and it, it was a real, a real mess. And I was already, you know, not too thrilled, because I knew that they were already filming, so I was missing potential scenes. I mean, the, your goal is to be, obviously, in as many scenes as you can. Uh, you know, you're not trying to avoid the work. Let me put it that way. It's not like other jobs, and uh, so I wasn't too thrilled. And they gave me this really ridiculous makeshift costume. But finally, they put me out there. And in the first uh, couple of scenes, I was way in the background. But then uh, when Lloyd saw me, he liked what I looked, the way I looked, and pulled me up to the front and put me near, near the front of the scene of the next scene. So I'm sitting on a bunch of sandbags with uh, to, with a female actor. And, and another guy, and we're, we're all terrorists, and we're supposed to be just sort of talking together. And uh, they didn't give us any lines because we weren't going to be he- heard, but the, we were supposed to just be, you know, kibitzing around with, with, with nothing to do, and, and this was supposed to be right before this big attack was going to come. And uh, I decided to, uh, to, to do something a little different. I said to the other people, I said, look, uh, let's work out a little routine here so it'll look like we're doing something real. And I worked out a little routine between the three of them where I'm talking to the girl kind of uh, closely and, uh, and the other guy tries to butt in and get in. And we start having a little, a little fight behind the girl, sort of pushing each other, because we each want the attention of the, of the girl. And then at some point she pushes both of us away. So this was this little little thing I worked out. I said I wasn't sure how much of it would end up on film, but I figured at least when people watch us, they could think we're doing something real. And then at another point, earlier even than that, uh, instead of just sitting there uh, pretending to talk or talking about the weather, that, that, which is something people do when they're trying to talk when they have nothing to, officially to say, I decided to tell them the story of my experiences working on the Woody Allen film. And as you can tell from today, that, you know, I like telling stories.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, we did all this stuff, and I did different scenes with them that day, uh, background scenes, foreground scenes, whatever, but all extra work. And then they told me to come back uh, two days later. So this was a Sunday. I was going to come back on Tuesday. Monday I went and I rented The Toxic Avenger and The Class of Newcomb High because I had never seen them before. Watched them both. Uh, I guess because I had never heard of Trauma when I actually went to see, went to do this, that movie. I had heard of The Toxic Avenger, but I'd only heard of it in, in, in the sense that a science fiction convention I went to was supposed to screen it, and last minute they decided to cancel it because they found out that a movie was very disgusting.
1: Hmm.
2: So uh, that was the only thing I knew about it. So I went and rented them, and I watched them on that that Monday. And uh, you watched
1: the like R-rated version, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was any other versions of it. There any wasn't like
1: the headcrush in the videotape
2: season. days. And uh, you know, but still, it, it was it was a, a bit of an eye opener for me. I Had no idea, you know, what I was getting into, but it didn't it didn't bother me. So when I showed up on 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 Tuesday, everything had changed. Uh, they they greeted me uh, much quicker. The costume people pulled me right over. They had gone shopping and picked out some better uh, costume for me and took care of me immediately. And, uh, and uh, the other crew people were saying hello to me right away, you know, you know, greeting me before I could greet them. And it was like suddenly I had become somebody, I, I, and they I didn't yet know how. And then later I, I started hearing pe- people start coming over to me and say, you know, we saw the uh, the dailies from Sunday's stuff, and they we're watching you uh, with the other two. She goes, what were you telling those two? They were really listening. And I thought, now there's an interesting insight, because the whole key is, as an actor, to do a scene that looks like you're doing something real. Not that you're acting, you're supposed to look like a real person. So by telling them a real story, it made it very easy for them, who also not experienced actors, to look like they're really listening, because they were really listening, and it was okay for them to be really listening. You know, That's that great. And apparently, it got enough of Lloyd's attention because uh, first thing that, that that morning, they were setting up this uh, this big scene where they were going to have somebody, one of the terrorists, run across the compound, and chase this blonde shooter in the back, and 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 enjoy it. And they actually did a walkthrough of the scene with somebody doing that, and me and I was in the background again, and uh, with one of the assistant directors setting it up. And then Lloyd comes over to see how it, how it looks. And uh, he starts yelling at the assistant director, Hey, I told you I want Joe to be the killer. Because apparently he had liked what I had done the, the day before, the two days earlier. And he, they pull me out up front, and he, Lloyd introduces himself to me, and uh, puts me into this character, and uh, the rest was history. I mean, uh, uh, the next day when I continued to work, uh, uh, Michael came by and uh, he introduced Michael to me, and uh, he told me I was a natural, you know, I, I thought about it later, and I said, you know, they, they they have a unique way of paying people. They pay them compliments instead of money. Which was okay, because I was promised a dollar for making that movie. I never got the dollar.
1: <laughs> a dollar?
2: A dollar, yes. That was the contract I signed. Didn't get the dollar. Didn't even get a T-shirt.
1: Maybe Lloyd will give you a dollar right now.
2: Actually, I told that story to Lloyd in front of... Another uh, producer about, I don't know, 15 years later, and the other producer reached into his wallet and paid me a dollar.
1: Uh,
2: it was, I, you know, I mean, I, I was he, He's
1: technically I felt, a producer. I certainly wasn't on, worried about uh, not getting the dollar. On uh, Troma's War Now. What, what's that? That producer is now a producer on Troma's War Now. Well, no,
2: I don't know who that producer was. I don't remember. Oh, I who that no, producer was. Somebody I met at, uh, at Chiller. It was a, uh, at the Chiller convention, which I went to many times representing Troma. And Lloyd was there, and there were other movie producers there from all kinds of movies. And uh, this was a guy who was friendly with Lloyd. So when I told the story to Lloyd, uh, the other guy, you know, decided as a goof. You know, he would he would, he would pay Lloyd's bill.
0: <laughs>
2: well, that's great. Mhm. So, uh, in fact, when they asked me to come back for the third day uh, to do more work on Trauma's War, I told them I re- I really couldn't do it because I had only taken three days off work: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I was there on Sunday. I was there on Tuesday. They wanted me to come back Wednesday, but their days were very long, and if I spent another long day on Wednesday, I would never be able to make it to work on Thursday. And I, I, I had to, so they said, "Well, how many hours can you give us?" So I, 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 I got them to agree to me coming in at uh, you know 10 o'clock and, and leaving by 4 o'clock, and they said, "Okay." And I got there, and they took care of me right away. They, got, they had a number of different scenes set up for me, and a number of different shoots set up for me, and they literally had the, uh, the, the main cameraman and the, second, and the second unit, and I was just rushed from one to the other. So where normally you're spending a lot of time waiting around doing nothing, for me that day was exactly the opposite. I, I come in to do one scene, and immediately I am I'm I'm, I'm walked away to do another scene, which was in the same time being set up somewhere else on the, on the set. So they wanted to get the most they could out of me that, that, that day so that, that was, a, that was a, a great experience, a great introduction to the world of, 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 uh, of low-budget films and and trauma, and, uh, and that's what made me friends with them. And I've been personal friends with Lloyd ever since. I mean, I've been to his house. I've talked to his wife and his kids many times. They all know who I am. You know, I'm friends with all of them. Yeah, and his
1: uh, daughter Charlotte's been on the show before, so. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. You
1: know, and she's, she's kind of like, when I was talking to her, she said, you know, that she might you know, because I, I asked her if she was gonna be acting, you know, be an actress for you know, if that was a plan in her future and she said something about uh, you know, thinking about going behind the camera but not doing like horror movies.
2: hmm Okay, well.
1: So hopefully she'll uh hopefully that'll happen, you know. Yeah, yeah,
2: I hope so. In fact when we when when uh when we were cast when they when they were setting up uh the shoot for Terra Farmer, uh I had, uh, you know, agreed to do it, and everything was was was, was going fine. And I and, and one one day I get home, and there's a a panicked phone call from Lloyd on my answering machine, and he's going, "Oh, you know, I found out you haven't signed the contract yet. I'm worried. Is there a problem? I don't I don't want there to be a problem of money between us. That shouldn't be an issue. And blah 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 blah. And then you know what we're going to be doing. The, the scene we want to do is very difficult. It involves a lot of blood. It's we be very messy. If you don't feel comfortable doing that scene, we can do something else. We'll write a different scene for you, but we want you in the movie. I mean, he just went, he just, you know, a, a bit of a ramble and, and, and a bit of a panic. And I remember saving that message on my answering machine for over a year and eventually transferring it onto a portable tape so I could take it with me. And I gave it to Troma, and it actually appears on, I think, on the second disc of the Terraformer double-disc set. Uh, it, it's a, a little voice that goes on during some, some video on there.
1: Oh, okay, so it's on the... Um,
2: it's on the DVD. It's on the... the on secondary. the parts of
1: darkness? Um, yeah, on that entering? DVD
2: somewhere. Huh. I don't know, I don't think it's in, in an obvious place. I think you have to put, turn on the secondary track on doing something. I, I, I don't remember exactly where, but it's definitely there. And it's definitely interesting. And I'm glad I saved it for, you know, for a year.
0: Because hmm. it, really it's, cool
2: it's, 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 it's genuine, you know. In fact, uh, I thought that that... Uh, that movie, that uh, that behind the scenes thing was was much, much better than the one for Toxie 4 because nobody really believed anything was going to come of it so the fact that there was a guy walking around with a, a digital camcorder filming people all the time behind the scenes nobody paid much attention because they had never done anything like this so nobody thought anything would come of it you know, if somebody wants to make some home movies what do we care? and people were just being themselves but once that was made, and it was really good, in fact, some of the reviews I read, they said they liked that better than the movie. Uh, when Taxi 4 came and we were making that movie, they, they, they were going to do it again. They had a couple of guys walking around with the, with the digital camcorders, and uh, but this time people played up to it a little more because they knew that if you did something interesting, you could end up in the final cut. So, you know, people played up to it a little more. Although I was furious when I first saw it, so the one from Terra Farmer, and I called them up and I... I basically told them that I would never work with them again because of, of the, the, what, they, what they did. And uh, they, they apologized and, uh, and, uh, because they, they didn't tell me. They were filming me during a couple of moments in there. One of the moments was right after my death scene, and I'm walking down the steps to look for the shower, and I'm covered from head to toe in blood, but I'm just walking in my underwear, and I just said, you know, I, I, I didn't know that somebody was walking behind me with a camera. I, I would have liked to have known that that was going to be on. And, and then there was another segment. I don't remember it was on that DVD or another one where I was being interviewed. I think it might have been on on, on the, the, the 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 later release of Toxie Three. And I'm being interviewed, and for some odd reason, uh, they thought it would be funny if every once in a while they would throw in a fart noise. And I'm saying, you know, I'm not. I'm, this is not Howard Howard Stern show, where where. The only way anything can be interesting is if there's somebody farting all the time, and I didn't appreciate that they did that again without telling me. So, you know, I've told them my thoughts a couple of times, and I've complained to them, and they understand. So, I think I have a you know a better handle on what it takes to get things done the right way. It's not that I'm bashful or whatever, but I just want to know what's going on. I don't want these surprised. Yeah, you
1: want to be in the loop. Yes. And when I'm
2: in the loop, things are are improved. I mean, again, ideas, I have good ideas. One of my favorites was when I came in to do some sound for Terra Farmer. You're familiar with that movie, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: And my big death scene.
1: The elevator. Oh, that was great. Or escalator. That's what I meant. Right.
2: So, uh, I mean, like, for example, uh, I, I came up with the idea of the escalator rescue kit, uh, but uh, all right, anyway, was, here, here was the issue I'm, I'm doing the escalator scene and I'm getting covered in blood and, uh, and, and, it was, and it was, you know, there was a lot of screaming and yelling and whatever and they would cut and then reset and, and continue shooting more and more, so when they went back and played it back after the fact, they, they noticed some ambient sound that they didn't like and they wanted to redo uh, my screams so they brought me in and this was kind of fun to me because the, it it gave me a an early moment to look at the, the footage because I hadn't seen it before of, of what it looked like me getting, getting teared up, torn apart there. And uh, and they told me that this section here, we like your, your screams the best, and they're showing me that section. And I, and I realized why they liked it because during that section, the combination of all the different things that they were doing, the, the they had these two streams of blood coming up from underneath the, the foundation there that were being pumped up by this pump that they had off, off camera. And it was squirting blood in my direction. And at that very moment, based on the angles of where I was, the blood was shooting straight into my mouth. So the screams were affected by me gurgling on the blood. I said, well, this is not going to be easy to recreate. And I gave it some thought. And in a matter of a minute, I came up with a solution. I sent them to the grocery store downstairs to buy a bottle of water, because uh, I don't drink water out of uh, the trauma water faucets, water faucet, that's for sure. And uh, I basically sat back in the chair with my head pointed towards the ceiling and I hadn't put the microphone over my head and when it came to those moments I literally just poured some water into my mouth and I let it dribble out as I screamed and it didn't bother me and I I mean, you didn't have to be didn't have to be blood and uh, if I ended up getting my shirt wet so what you know it's just water
1: and I and I gargled
2: the water as I screamed and, and, and we got it done
1: nice nice and that's a really cool idea like you know, yeah, yeah, you know, you
2: gotta you gotta come up with a solution. On the other hand, there were other things that uh, w- w- that I found hilarious. In fact, if you watch it very closely, you might be able to pick this up. We did the scenes of uh, of me being destroyed
1: in in in
2: a, in, a, in, in their uh, office, there, not at their main office, but the production office that they had set up for the filming. And uh, I got covered literally from head to toe with the fake blood, and uh, I, I washed off. Most of it before I, I, I went home. But when I went home, I still had a lot of blood in my hair. And when I got home, I, I, I showered and, and I shampooed my hair like five times. And my hair is generally fairly white. Uh, and I thought I had gotten it all. I thought it was clean. Well, apparently it wasn't perfect, because if you look real close at some of the scenes at the at the real escalator, which we filmed the next day, you might be able to notice a slight pink tint to my hair. Hmm.
1: I never noticed that, but I, have to, I guess I have to look back.
2: I, I believe that I did notice it, but I'm not sure how, how easy it would be. I mean, sometimes I notice things. I mean, I, I did a movie with, um, called Three of Hearts I did, uh, where I did a, 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 an extra part, and that, that movie was William Baldwin, Sherilyn Fenn, and uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, I forget the third. The, Kelly Lynch. And it was, a, it was a three-way love triangle thing. And uh, we were filming in Washington Square Park. And when, when the final cut of the movie, when I finally saw it, I noticed myself as an extra in two different places in the same scene. Because there, there, there's, a, there's a conversation between Cheryl and Fenn and Kelly Lynch, and the camera would move from looking at one of them to looking at the other. And when they were looking at one of them, I, I was in the background as a hot dog vendor, and when they were talking to the other one, I was much for, further away in the background just walking by along the outskirts of the park. Because these were filmed separately. They don't film them, you know, okay, we're going to talk to you now, we're going to turn and talk to you. You know, you do one whole thing and then you do the other whole thing. So, I, But no one will ever notice because I was too far away in the in the, in the the one where I was in the background. But I knew it was me because I recognized the the, the, the bag I was holding, the, the, the duffel bag I was holding. And uh, I remembered what I did. So kind of funny how those things sometimes work out.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, um I'm going to probably have to let you go cuz I know you're you've been uh you know, you've been talking about doing a little bit like more than an hour but not, not well, too actually, much Well, I don't care.
2: I could talk all night right now. I'm I'm, I'm but it's up to you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to probably have to end it pretty soon, but uh um, Hey,
2: that's that's your choice.
1: But but, thank you so much um i I do want to um you know before we go, I do want to talk about a little bit more about like your website and stuff like that so people well,
2: I can tell you it. that my website is pretty much uh, has been untouched for a good number of years because there was a time when I, when I was developing it uh, with a friend who was doing the work. in fact, the person who was doing the work was a well known uh, uh, trauma actress, uh, Lisa Gay was my web mistress. Hmm. Uh, that was the kind of work she was doing at the time. I think she may still be doing it. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I, I, well, at some point, uh, I couldn't afford it anymore, so I, I stopped doing it. Uh, so it still sits there. The only reason why I actually keep it is because there's a lot of stuff out there that people you know may not have seen. There's a lot of pictures. And it cost me very little to leave it just the way it is. I mean, obviously, if I knew somebody who would be willing you know, to volunteer some time just to put up some pictures on there, I got thousands of pictures of, of everything I've done since then, and lots of uh, nude pictures from all the photography I've done, including the special effects photography with the black light. There's a couple of examples of that on the on the website. they have done hundreds and hundreds of photos in black light that are absolutely outrageous. And um, love I think one of the cool there, things I,
1: is you should get somebody to do uh, a MySpace page for you. I, you know,
2: I have I have the time because I'm really not doing anything else, but I don't have the uh, the patience to do it myself or I don't right now I don't have the technical knowledge of how to do it and and I probably I'm sure I could learn it because the the last job I had before I retired from my regular job was working for IBM I've worked in the computer field for you know close to thirty years but uh, I, designing and building web pages is not part of my work I was working with bigger machines than that and uh, so I'm really you know I haven't done the the the, the studying necessary and uh, I really don't feel up to doing that right now. Physically, I'm not well enough to spend hours sitting in front of a computer. But uh, if somebody wants to do it and is willing to volunteer some time to do it, I'd be happy to provide the information and, and to come up with the, what to say, you know, the text and things like that. And i got loads of pictures. So, But what's out there is still, I think, interesting for anybody who's kind of curious. Is there's some interesting pictures and stories in there. Uh, uh, so I, I leave it there because it, gi- it gives me. Uh, I do all my email through it, so I, I, I tell people to email me through that because just in case I change my my uh, email provider, my my internet provider, I don't have to worry about changing the name. This was years ago before everybody got their email through whatever Yahoo or whatever. So I, I did it that way, and that's the way it's been set up for years. So it doesn't cost me that much to keep it. It doesn't cost that much to keep the domain. And uh, and I have no trouble remembering what my email address is because it's jf at dot com. I think I can remember that. <laughs> so uh, you know that that's that's the website. I assume you've seen it.
1: Uh, yeah, that's how I contacted you, I guess. You oh know. yeah, yeah, that's oh. right. And the, and
2: that first image you see is a black light picture of my face from uh, a shoot that we did for Trauma. Uh, in fact, the whole black blacklight thing came from Toxic Avenger three because. Uh, Act, the actress Tracy Mann was filmed in Toxic Avenger 3 as the uh, snake lady in, in Black Light, one of the the devil's uh, you know people. And uh, I became good friends with Tracy over the years after that, and uh, started doing many photo sessions with her, and we ended up recreating Black Light photo sessions, and it became really, really cool. So I've done a lot of Black Light photo sessions with her, and I've done some with others as well.
1: Uh, and, yeah. and with I mean, me, I'm looking ladies. at it right now, and it's... Looks
2: pretty cool. The stuff mm-hmm. that you got. Um, uh, well, I had a good, you know, Lisa Gay was good at what she did, and she she didn't charge me, you know, too much. But it was still more than I had. I had some. At some point, I got myself in trouble spending too much money, so I had to stop it. Right now, I'm uh, I'm retired on on disability, so I can't afford to uh, to to spend money to pay to get it done. So if somebody wants to do it because they will get a kick out of doing it, and uh, you know
1: uh, that would be great. I'd love it,
2: but you know. So just email me or whatever. You have my number. You can call me too.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'll let I'll let people uh, I'll let people know. Um, you know, I would do it. Um, I just got so many. You oh know, no! No, I'm not, up i uh, I'll, I'll talk to some people about it. Um, some people do like you know official like there's like the official Trent Haga MySpace that. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, that uh Elska McCain created for uh for Trent because Trent was uh too busy you know with that's his true. own website Trent part, i i
2: could you know there were some stories between me and Trent that that 's in the documentary uh which was kind of funny about um, my beard and for filming the citizen taxi
1: hmm.
2: but uh, uh, you have to go back to the documentary to see that we won 't tell you
1: <laughs> okay people have to go by uh uh, was it the po- Apocalypse Soon?
2: Yes, exactly. Uh,
1: yeah, by the uh, Citizen Toxic uh, DVD, which I mean I don't know. I right now I I own the uh, crappy rated R version. <laughs> oh well,
2: that's that's a shame.
1: Yeah, it was a shame because I went to Best Buy right and I bought it, not thinking that it was R. You know?
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things you got to pay attention to, especially with trauma movies.
1: Yeah, and so I bought it, and then... No, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 that was the one. Because it was weird, because I got both the, uh, you know, Citizen Toxie R-rated version, and then I ended up buying the uh, Terraformer unrated version, but the Terraformer unrated version didn't have Parts of Darkness. So, (laughs) like, this really weird... yeah, so for some reason I can't, uh, I I couldn't get you know both at the same you know.
2: Because mm, the, the R-rated point. version of Terra Firma was a real uh, joke. Lloyd was so pissed off at uh, what those censors were making him change that that he ended up putting in like images of stick figures or something. And he just played around with it. I think that was the one. It was it was really uh, it's kind of funny in a way, but it's a it's a joke that you get tired of after a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just so it's so silly that they they do that stuff.
2: Oh, you know, I, I still remember uh, the first time some of the trauma movies made it to TV years ago was on the USA Network, and uh, that was a, a real shame. When they showed the first three Toxic Avengers back-to-back on, on the USA one, one Friday night, I mean, uh, what's there left to watch when you get rid of the, the nudity and uh, and a lot of the gore? And the head-crushing and the... I mean, it's just, you know, what's, what's left? Actually, I'll, I'll give you one thing. There, there, there was a segment that we used to run on Saturday nights with Gilbert Gottfried called "Up All Night," where he used to host uh, oddball movies. And he, okay, I actually appeared with him one one night together with uh, one of the actors from *Trauma's War*, and it was kind of one of my favorite things. But I'll have to save that story for another time. But uh, I remember watching one of these segments, one of the uh, one of the nights, and they had on uh, one of the trauma movies, not a major one. And, of course, it was edited to, to get rid of the nudity, but the funniest part was uh, Gilbert Gottfried constantly was trashing the movie because it wasn't a great movie, but it was part of his, uh, his bit. would be when he'd come on during the commercial breaks and he would trash the movie. And at one point, he started trashing the scene we had just seen, and they replayed a segment of the scene that, uh, during the commercial as part of to support his making fun of it, only the, the replay portion was not edited, and, and in the replay portion during his, the commercial break, uh, the nudity was there. Which was not normal for USA Networks. So it, was, it was it was an oversight that I thought was pretty hilarious.
1: That's awesome. hmm And, uh, you know, uh, up all night they had done, what's that girl's name? Um, Rhonda, did Rhonda Shear Rhonda do it? Rhonda Shear,
2: yeah. Now she sells underwear on one of the shopping channels.
1: But uh, she was also in, um, you know, she's got a trauma connection in a way because Barack Epstein used her uh in his movie um yeah the, the the women's prison movie um that he did uh um that he was a, he was a parody of women's prison movies um god um uh you know i'm really bad because uh prisoner of gogo oh okay um i don't know if you ever saw that
2: i but, don't think so but you know it's funny cuz i just remembered one of the other movie titles that i was trying to remember earlier the western movie that I think Indiana and was
1: involved with, I think it was called The
2: Rowdy Girls.
1: Hmm. Was it a, uh, pr- a women in prison?
2: No, it was a western. The oh, rowdy.
1: Western, okay.
2: it Was made out in California, and it had uh, uh, it had a couple other playmates in it, or whatever.
1: Hmm. Um. But I was trying to think. Um. But uh. But you know, Prisoner of GoGo, I think, or something like that. No, uh, Prisoner of GoGo. And bronda uh, was, you know, and the the trauma connection is like Lloyd, of course, shows up as a cameo, and it, like he always, you know, and and that's what's so great about Lloyd is he will do these like small cameos for these movies just to help, you know, get them out there. You know, sure, he
2: he was in Slither,
1: uh, though he was cut, I think.
2: No, uh, no, no, he was in the final version of it, but it just a brief part, sitting in the in a sheriff's office. And I think he was also in. Um, was he?
1: Cause I just watched. In
2: Orgasmo. Yep,
1: yep. He was definitely in. Um, and Orgasmo.
2: if you look real carefully, you'll see him in the original Academy Award-winning Rocky.
1: Yeah, uh, playing another drunk bum. Exactly.
2: That was the, that was his claim to fame. I mean, uh, he. I remember some of the other mainstream movies he got into. Uh, the movie The Final, Final Destination, which starring Kirk Douglas. Uh, final, not the no, final countdown, rather, starring Kirk Douglas, and uh, he plays Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Kaufman. What? Which one
1: was that?
2: Uh, final countdown, I believe it is. It's uh, it has uh, Kirk Douglas in it. I think it has Charlie Sheen in oh, it. Oh yeah, this is right? one of and the ones Michael
1: he Fiennes. talks about in his
2: book. Yeah, and uh,
1: just helped out on.
2: Right, but he ended up playing a character in it as well. Uh, uh, he played the radio guy uh, trying to get signals. Uh, when they appear, when they end up traveling in time, their radio signals aren't working anymore. So he gets involved. But his character, I believe, was Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Kaufman.
0: Huh.
2: I guess they didn't want to be, you know, put too much of a burden on his uh, on his mental capacities to come up with a, a different, na- you know, to remember a different name.
1: Uh, yeah, and I tried watching. I wasn't a big fan of the Battle of Love's Return.
2: Mhm mm-hmm. well, that was very early,
1: but I really, really did love his commentary on it so
2: mm-hmm. isn't that the one with Oliver Stone?
1: yeah, I believe so I believe Oliver had a small part in it- mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and you know that Lloyd
2: was in school with uh George w was he yep in, in the same classes in some cases,
1: oh wow, so same
2: same year, I guess or whatever.
1: That's so funny. He he should have made. Uh, I wonder if he picked on uh, George at all. Huh?
2: I don't know, but I do know that he was questioned about it on on one of his appearances on. Uh, uh, I think with uh, with Bill Maher or somebody like that. I think he was on one of those shows, and they talked about it.
1: To uh, to George W.
2: No, they talked to Lloyd about
1: <laughs> George. That would have been weird if uh, Bill Maher was, you know. Asking George, uh, George W., did you work with? Uh, did you ever uh, have a class with uh, Lloyd Coffin? That's what I heard.
2: Well, you know, uh, who, who knows what uh, George W. remembers from, from those days. I think in those days he was pretty much uh, inebriated, I would think.
1: Yeah, and you know what, he was allowed to get away with a lot of things because at that time, before it was before he was probably starting to go into politics. Oh, absolutely. You know, so he could go and get away with a lot more stuff back then and then all of a sudden have to... Kind of changes ways a little bit more, just so. He's... Well,
2: it's a standard. It's a standard pattern. It happens with a lot of people. But he has been, you know, without. Uh, I think that's probably why why he's not as comfortable in front of the microphone because they don't let, they don't let him drink before before the, the news conferences.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure if he if he had a drink, oh, he'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'd love to come over here and talk to you guys for a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, well, what can I say? I mean, he's just not good. He's not a good public speaker. Just, that's the way it is. Not everybody is.
1: Yep. But thank you so much for coming on tonight. Uh, you've been an excellent guest. And thank you. You've been t- talking about a lot of really, really fun stories. And oh, I'm I hoping got, a lot more people get you. i got you plenty, I got plenty
2: more where this came from because I, I, I remember everything I did, and I remember the interesting parts of them. And, and as we speak, and as I talk about one thing, and there's three other things popping into my head, and it's just a matter of filtering them out. But uh, uh, there, there, there's more. So if you ever want to do this again, just let yeah, me... I
1: would definitely. I'm thinking about having another show, um, especially if you'd like to have another show with a, a, another person to come on too, and kind of discuss. Um, you know, you know, kind sure, of sure. Like, just maybe tell like me
2: a, who, a, you, somebody I know, or somebody uh, who's interested, or what.
1: Yeah, well, just like I, I, I was thinking, like maybe a uh, roundtable discussion with other, like actors or other. Uh, well, Any time, that that that
2: would be no problem. So you know, you yeah. call me, we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Just don't,
2: uh, don't count on, on 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 the email.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll definitely have to call you and let you know. I mean, right? Because uh, I know you're you're tough with the email because. Well,
2: I, it's uh, I, I, I I settled the problem that I had. Uh, before, but it could happen again i just don 't want to completely rely on that right Cause I know yeah. that I lost okay. about a month's worth of emails, so those are emails i 'm not going to get again in, 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 in some cases in some cases, they came from people that i know so i 'll you know as long as I can tell them that the, that i didn 't get the emails recently but i 'm sure there may be something in there that i 'll regret mis- missing but you know what can you do i mean it 's now fixed my emails work fine now, but uh I, I can't uh, be sure. So you know, I, I'm I'm much better uh, on the phone anyway.
1: Definitely. And and you're you know you're great on the show too. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to get something going again, just to kind of um, you know, because I, I know we, we're almost like approaching like the end of the two hours. So mm-hmm. uh, after that two hours, it would have completely quit on us anyway. So. Okay, no problem. Uh, so that's definitely another reason why I was I like to. I
2: told you before, depending on how I felt, and I, I, was, I was on a roll, so, you know, what the hell?
1: You know, and then you said, yeah, there was so much stuff popping through your head, so, oh, you yeah. know, I'd love to definitely discuss that later. Um, and you if you want to think of other things to talk about for the show... Uh, or I whatever, don't plan like, in,
2: in advance, I never do, because uh, there's, there's enough there rattling around in my head.
1: That they just uh, pop you know, up randomly?
2: <laughs> unless you come up with a specific theme that you have in mind, other than that... It'll happen as it happens.
1: Definitely, like like tonight has. So thank you so much. Thank you. I think, you've, uh, I think uh, people will enjoy this one, and uh, hope that there was a lot of people listening tonight. And um, uh, if not, they're going to hear the archives guys anyway. So you okay. know our guys do better than the. I don't lives. think
2: I said anything too insulting about anybody, so I think I'll be okay.
1: <laughs> people aren't going to be sending angry hate letters to your email.
2: Well, maybe that's the right place to send it because maybe I won't get it. <laughs>
1: It'll, it'll get, get filtered into net. your junk mail.
2: Sa- safety net there,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> all right, take care.
1: Well, thank you. You have a uh, you have a good one, and good luck with all the projects that I'm sure you'll you you should begin some sometime soon. I'm sure.
2: Oh you yeah, um, I'm sure there'll be some more.
1: So thank you so much.
2: Okay, okay bye bye.
1: Goodbye. All right, everybody. That was uh, Joe Flyshaker, um, star of *Trauma's War*, uh, *Terror Firmer*, *Tromeo and Juliet* uh citizen Toxie and you know, uh 2, avenger two three four basically and uh lots 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 more poultry geist um tons tons more so thank you guys so much for listening to the show and um hope you guys enjoyed it.